Welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Peter. And I am a dewy-eyed Eden. <laughs> dewy-eyed. I love that description for you. Because we're, cause we're recording in the morning. Oh, we damn are. it. I was going to fill up my mug with coffee and I forgot. Oh, no. We can always pause if in, and, you know, edit this out if you need to go and get yourself a, a warming beverage that perhaps awakens you. I don't know. Does, does caffeine wake you up? No, uh, it really doesn't have much of an effect on me. Um, I don't know why that is uh, physiologically, um, but I do just enjoy the ritual of drinking coffee in the morning. So interestingly, um, you know, both my wife and my oldest son have pretty good ADHD. And I know that you've brought up your ADHD before and neither of them really feel like coffee wakes them up or anything or not coffee, but caffeine wakes them up. So doesn't do to them what it does to other folks. So I wonder if that has something to do with it for you. It's entirely possible. Um, all I know is that I like the taste and I like the ritual of it. You know, I, I even ground my own beans this morning because Cassie Ooh. needed, I'm usually lazy and I buy pre-ground coffee, but Cassie needed some uh, whole beans for a thing at her workplace for like a toy, like she's setting up this thing. She works at a childcare center and she was setting up like a, a restaurant kitchen type play area for the kids for the month of January. And she was like, do you have any coffee beans? And I was like, I have coffee grounds. And she was like, Oh dang, I needed coffee beans. And I was like, that's okay. Next time I can just buy beans instead. So I have full beans, which means I have to grind them, which adds even more to the feeling of it being a ritual when you have to like measure out your beans. And I have a hand cranked grinder because I don't, you know, I'm not fancy enough to have a, uh, a, a powered grinder. Why, why would I need that? So then you have to sit there for like three or four minutes grinding your beans and then you put them in and it is, it's very ritualistic. There you go. Should I share with you what my beverage morning ritual is? Uh, you, I think you have uh, off mic, but you should definitely share with the listeners. Oh no. Cause I've upgraded. So mm-hmm, yes. Oh, okay. Tell me more. Well, so for, uh, in an effort to, you know, be healthy, I have started drinking hibiscus tea. Uh, it's supposed to be good for blood pressure and things like that. Also, it's also, it's delicious. Uh, okay, sure. It's bright red. It. it has a, it has a really like kind of fruity pop to it. I love a good hibiscus tea. It's great. <laughs> well, so here's what I do. I put a whole bunch of tea. 20 to be exact, 20 tea bags in this glass thing, fill it up with hot water, stick it in the fridge, let it sit overnight the next morning, take the tea bags out. 20? Yeah. And then this is going to That's why it tastes bad. Days. No, That's it's why fine. it tastes bad. It's you oversteeped it. No, no, no. No, no, no. Trust me. There's a method to the madness. Nothing about what I'm going to describe is for enjoyment or pleasure. It is well, 100% purposeful in that I'm trying to get the hibiscus tea in the greatest possible concentration in me as quickly as possible. Hence it's cold so that I can just chug it nonstop in one big, you know, start drinking, be done, no breath. But then what I do is I take my hibiscus tea and I put it in a little blender bottle and I add a scoop of greens powder, which tastes awful because of things like the spirulina and the chlorella, the blue green algae. But hey, that's supposed to be good for you too. Oh, it's ground up 
spirulina, chlorella, blue-green algae, uh, a bunch of other things supposed to be incredibly rich in vitamins. And then to that, I add a scoop of a beetroot juice powder that's supposed to help, you know, increase nitric oxide production, improve circulation, supposed to be healthy for you too. And then I blend that all up. So now I've got the hibiscus tea flavor. I've got the disgusting cinnamon green apple greens flavor that they only put the cinnamon and green apple flavor in to try and make you not gag on the pond scum flavor of it. And then I have the cloyingly sweet but earthy beetroot juice powder. So I mix that up and then I stand over the sink. I drink it as fast as I possibly can. And then I wash out my blender bottle and then I go to work. That sounds so disappointing. <laughs> like I said, nothing about this ritual is for enjoyment or pleasure. It is all well. Then for why? Because the, it's, supposed it's to be a bad purpose. I don't care. I don't me. care. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: hibiscus tea is great if you just drink it, cold or hot. It's delicious. They they used to give uh, honestly, it to us in Guatemala, and I enjoyed it. There. I was gonna say it's Jamaica. I yep. I we'll love Jamaica. It's great. I'm gonna probably make some when I get off this call now because I've been like jonesing for some jamaica and i was like i got some hibiscus tea leaves i can just make it jamaica style put some sugar in it i often don't i you know i often drink it unsweetened because it's it's delicious uh you know it it it, it, along with uh butterfly pea flower tea are two of my favorite uh floral teas the nice thing about the butterfly pea flower tea is it is bright blue and then you squeeze a little bit of lemon juice in there and then it turns like a beautiful magenta, just like the most bisexual drink to ever exist, <laughs> and uh, looks looks amazing, tastes delicious. There you go. Well, as as we have discussed before, whether it was on mic or off, I generally, uh, for me, beverages uh, they have a purpose. If I'm drinking water, it's because I'm thirsty, and so it's just a lot of cold water. If I'm drinking a caffeinated beverage, it is because I need the caffeine. And so it is how quickly can I get the caffeine in my system? And if it is my little concoction in the morning, it is because there is evidence to support that every one of those three components is healthy for you. And because I like to streamline things like that, because I am a little too type A in case nobody has figured this out yet, I just mix it all together and choke it down in the morning. I did have my youngest son take a taste of it once, and I thought he was going to throw up. It was pretty funny. (laughs) You just, I don't know. I don't know what it (laughs) needs. I'm very curious. I'm very curious about this concoction. I would be very curious to try it out. I don't know that I'm like $40 curious in order to buy a thing of beetroot powder and a thing of the green powder, because again, I already have the hibiscus leaves. Um, I don't know that I'm $40 curious, but I am curious if you could create a version that was good. I don't know. I bet you could. I bet you'd need to add maybe some sweetener. You know, it, maybe throw maybe maybe throw some you throw some ice in there and like a half an avocado to give it some fattiness and a little bit of like, you know, a, a little bit of flavor and throw a little sugar in there. Make like a smoothie. Yeah, but then I can't drink it as fast. And so I've just defeated the entire purpose of mixing it up. Well, uh, and see, again, this is just one of those, this is one of our (laughs) fundamental differences. I also drink with purpose. The purpose being to enjoy myself. And because if I wasn't drinking it for enjoyment, you're less stressed than I am all the time. (laughs) I mean, we also, I also have a very different type of job. 
uh, I I tend less towards stress and more towards depression. This is my mental illness of choice. <laughs> um, so you know, I if I don't enjoy drinking it, I'm just gonna drink water because I even enjoy drinking water. I love when it's so cold that it kind of hurts a little bit to mm, drink. Yes. There are a few things more pleasant to me than when I take a drink of water that is so cold it hurts my insides just a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking to drink for pleasure, apparently. There you go. And that's, like I say, I I don't advocate the way I approach things like that as good or even healthy, even though my stated purpose is to improve my health. But you know what? It works. It works for me. Speaking, speaking of adding things to your morning beverages for a while, I was trying, there was like this big push about like using the like eight mushroom powder with the cocoa in it. Yeah. I've seen replacement to, or in addition to your coffee. Um, it's not, it's not as people are like, it's like drinking hot chocolate. Everyone who says those sorts of things are liars. These are the same people who say Satan tastes just like chicken. No, Satan tastes like Satan. It is delicious on its own stop trying to use it as an ersatz chicken enjoy seitan for what it is which is delicious wheat protein the same is true here don't don't tell me this is hot cocoa it's not hot cocoa it's like mushroom juice with a little bit of cocoa flavoring in it um but for a while i was mixing it with my coffee and honestly i just didn't feel like i was getting any benefit from the mushrooms because it was also supposed to like do a lot of the stuff that caffeinated beverages do but like you know it's like oh it's not a caffeine high but it's going to help you function more and help your brain work better and i felt like i wasn't getting any of that and it was just enough more effort than the coffee which i already enjoy for me to be like no not going to do this anymore yeah so i I still have half a tin of of mushroom extract with cocoa that you know if i'm feeling festive or if i want more of a mocha taste i could throw some in my coffee but then i gotta get out like the little blender and like beat it all together and sometimes it's just easier to just pour yourself a cup of coffee there you go and listeners in case you couldn't tell i don't think either of us are really well we're looking forward to talking about it but this movie before we get there Anything positive that you have enjoyed in the last two weeks that we should share? Um, let's see. What have I been doing these last couple of weeks? It's been pretty busy with work stuff, you know, finishing up the semester, making lots of big plans for the spring semester. Um, I'm hopeful that things are going to go really well, uh, but we won't know till we get there. Um, but let's see, pop culture wise, I've been reading a lot of comics. Um, I don't think I've mentioned them here. I've been trying to read a lot of different, uh, um, a lot of different lesbian comics. Have I talked about this in the pod? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I've been reading a lot of lesbian comics lately because that's the sort of person that I am. Um, and so I've read the first volume of three different series in the last couple of weeks, um, that were very different and very interesting in the ways that in which they were different. Um, the first one I read was the first volume of a comic by uh, Takako Shimura called Even Though We're Adults, um, which is basically, it is kind of a slice of life, which I don't usually care for slice of life comics and stuff that much, but this one was pretty great. Um, but basically the premise is, this woman goes to a bar um, and starts 
talking to this other woman and really falls for her quickly, ends up kissing her. And the other woman is like surprised that this other person is so into her and all this kind of stuff. And then come to find out the woman who kisses the first, the first woman, Ayana, who kisses Akari, the second woman, she's married to a dude and she's just feeling unfulfilled in her relationship and found the spark with Akari. And so she just kissed her. And then poor Akari is like, why does this happen to me every time? Cause she's super into Ayana now. And she's like, but she's married and in a straight relationship. Why does this always happen to me? Um, so it is this really kind of beautiful, heartfelt yearning because like they're both into each other, but they can't really do anything about it because Ayana is still in this marriage and she's not sure if the right choice is to end her marriage to try to be with this woman who she's infatuated with, but not really has never been with a woman before. And it's not really, you know, American culture, pretty homophobic Japanese culture, perhaps even a little bit more so. Uh, so understandably she's worried about upending her whole life in that way. Anyway, it was really good. I've been really impressed with this book. I bought the other, you know, five volumes and I'm, you know, three or four volumes in at this point. Nice. Um, and I'm really liking it. Excellent. Um, and then I read another one called, uh, even, or it's called, how do we relationship, um, by Tamifuel. And it is a, similarly, it is, you know, set maybe a little younger because the, the women in even though we're adults are like middle aged, like mid thirties. Um, how do we relationship is about uh, freshmen in college and these two girls who kind of like each other, but are not sure about it, but end up starting to date, you know, almost as like, well, everyone else is dating. Why don't we try dating? And uh, it's also really cute. Um, and again, really heartfelt, um, really uh, tugs at the heartstrings, a, a bit steamier than even though we're adults, um, because they're actually together instead of just yearning. Um, and so you know, I, I thought that that was pretty interesting, um, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'd like to read more of that. There's a lot of volumes of that, though, so I'm trying to decide, you know, do I really want to dive in on that? Um, and then I read a the first volume of Semil Parus, which I didn't write down the, uh, I didn't write that in my list of books I've read this year. So, Hey, mm. I'm one closer to hundred than I thought I was. There you go. Cause I was looking at my list and it is not in this list. Um, but it is a comic that, okay. So even though we're adults and how do we relationship are done by they're written and and drawn by women, clearly with women as the primary audience because right. they don't get like objectifying of women's bodies and they don't make the leery male gaze a part of the comic even in like i say in how do we relationship it's a little sexy sometimes but it's not in the, it's it's not in a leery male gazey way okay semel paris done by a man for a teenage comic like collection for like it's not shonen jump but something like that so like this is for shonen which means the target audience is teenage boys uh so it's a real horny and real gross ah that's unfortunate and so it was just really interesting to read these three kind of contemporary lesbian comics that are all they've all kind of come out within the same couple of years of each other but like two of them i felt like were really 
representative of real life and and dealt with with relationships and and how to how how does infatuation build and become something bigger if it does at all all those sorts of things in a really meaningful way whereas the other one was like has this person ever touched a breast and know how actual flesh on a human being works because that's not how boobs work the way that you draw them my guy yeah so it's been really interesting to kind of read those three back to back to back um and that would be the biggest thing that i have uh uh been doing pop culture wise how about you a few things that i thought were worth mentioning really quick um some new music in the last little bit that i have really been enjoying um i know i'm probably a little late to the party and maybe there's some people out there who are going to yell at me and tell me i'm just jumping on a bandwagon or something but i got into sleep token the band sleep token this last couple of weeks and have really, really been enjoying their uh, two albums they have out so far. Don't know how I would describe it. It is rock, but it's pop, but it's post some other stuff. I don't know. It's it's interesting and uh, kind of led me down a whole rabbit hole of re-exploring some of the music in my uh, in my library that is a little bit more uh, kind of pop with more pop sensibilities, um, you know, some more modern anathema, some things like, um, Oh, Junius, I would throw in there. King Crow Votum, um, the more recent albums by Leprous that are a lot more kind of prog pop than, than the prog metal that they used to be. Uh, and so it was kind of a fun aside from the type of things that I usually listen to. And, uh, the other thing that I would mention is, uh, my son and I have started watching the, uh, Willow series on Disney plus. I don't know if I'd say that it's good. I would say that we are enjoying it. Uh, I have a real soft spot for the movie Willow. I loved it when it came out. Uh, we watched that and then we started watching the series and, and are quite enjoying it again. Don't know that I'd say uh, it's it's blowing me away, but it's definitely one of those things that with a few episodes out that we haven't watched, you know, if we've got a little bit of time, I'll kind of say, hey, let's watch an episode of Willow and we enjoy it. So I think those would be the two big things uh, kind of music wise. And then the, a little TV uh, reading has still kind of stalled out. Uh, embarrassingly, I have not yet finished my book. Uh, that we discussed previously. I really only have about a chapter and a half left to go. I just need to buckle down and do it. So it will be done before the end of the year. Um, and then the one thing that I'll mention briefly, because while there is a part of me that would like for us to watch this movie and talk about it together, there's also a part of me that never wants to see this movie again. And that is Black Adam. I'm pretty sure <laughs> shortly after we watched it, I may have texted you or communicated with you in some fashion about what a truly God awful movie that was, but it yes. was awful. It was terrible. I mean, look, I did not go into this movie with high expectations, my very low expectations for anything pretty much that DC is putting out that at least seems to be, attempting to connect back into this nebulous 
thought concept that they have of the DC extended universe, which doesn't really, in my opinion, exist, except in the minds of certain uh, perhaps actors and perhaps movie executives somewhere. Needless to say, this movie sucks. It sucks so bad that when it was done, well, actually, look, it didn't even take until it was done. 12 minutes into the movie, my 17-year-old, who is the one who requested we watch this movie together, turns to me. I pause the movie. And he says, oh, my gosh, Dad, this movie is so bad. <laughs> so when my 17-year-old who – now, look, I am not one to claim – that I have really high standards when it comes to my entertainment. I just want to be entertained for the most part. And I can enjoy things that are, you know, really good and, you know, whatever you want to say about them. But I can also enjoy trashy things as long as they're enjoyable. And this was trash that was not enjoyable. And so while I think it would be fun to subject you to that, number one, I like you. In fact, as, as my sibling, I'd even say I love you. And I don't want to put you through that because when it was done, I was angry enough that I don't ever want to see the rock in another movie again. He oh, made man. me so angry with all of his, the power hierarchy or whatever of the DC universe and just all his hype. And I understand it's his movie. He's a hype machine and he's been wanting to play this character for forever. He is so uninteresting, so offensively bland and boring in this movie that I don't ever want to see the rock in anything again, all of the goodwill and charisma that he has built up over the years of being in much of the time, bad movies, but still making them enjoyable just by being the rock. It is gone. The vacuum of black Adam has sucked that right out of my life. And that movie sucks. I'm actually really glad I was very happy when the announcement came out that they're putting a sequel to Black Adam on hold while they reevaluate the forward progress of the DC Extended Universe because that movie needs to be buried in the desert I mean, with E.T. cartridges. Let's be honest. That movie was not going to get a sequel because when The Rock is out on Twitter being like, no, guys, it actually did make money. That means that movie did not make enough money. So no. it was not going to be getting a, uh, it was not going to be getting a sequel anyway. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it sounds terrible. And, uh, I feel, I feel a little bad for DC fans because I feel like they have been done extremely dirty over the last 15 years. Oh, they have. It doesn't help. It, it doesn't help that Marvel fans have been eating their lunch by being, you know, fed consistently, whether you're not, you know, to not speak towards the quality of said entertainment, at least they get a lot of it. If you're an MCU person, you get a lot of MCU with the exception of like 2020. And um, even every the other, ones that are not great, I still find enjoyable. Still sound like it was better than Black Adam. Oh, no. Like, I don't finish it. I've never, with the exception of maybe one or two, I've never been angry at the end of a, a, an MCU property. 
and on. I was angry. Yeah. I was angry. The only reason the only reason I've ever gotten angry at the end of an MCU property is because I was like, what a bunch of wasted potential. Yes. And Whereas that's it more sounds like this was like Yeah, it's less anger and more disappointment. Whereas this sounds it was like, What are you doing to me? Yeah. Also there are two people ever in the history of mankind who have actually given a shit about black Adam. And it is whoever created black Adam and the, and rock. the rock and literally <laughs> nobody else on the yes. globe gives two squirts of owl shit about what if Shazam, but genocide. Yeah. That's there's nothing that there's nothing there. What if Shazam, but not a kid and not doesn't have that sense of wonder and excitement. That is the only reason that makes Shazam interesting in the face of Superman. Like they Superman and Shazam, their powers are virtually identical. Yep. You know, like they ain't a whole lot of difference between Superman and Shazam. What makes Shazam comic interesting? It's the interplay and the fun and the joy of I am a kid who has been Tom Hanks bigged into a freaking superhero who is as strong as Superman. That's fun. There's joy. There's excitement. There's a sense of adventure to a to the best Shazam stories. Whereas, you know, like I like a, a good Superman story, but it's a different sense because with Superman, it is more like his compassion, his sense of justice, his sense of responsibility, his desire to help others. And it's not like, yo, I'm super strong now. Cause he's always been like that ever since he was a kid. So he doesn't right. have that like interplay between being undepowered and then super powerful, which is what makes Shazam interesting. Agree. But give those powers to genocidal elf ear man. It's not interesting to anyone except for maybe apparently the rock. Yeah, it was bad. Also, I, the only thing I've seen from that movie outside of the trailers is someone put their attempt essentially at a Quicksilver scene, uh, from the black Adam film on Twitter. And that was so laughably bad where like, they're playing the paint it black song or maybe it was back in black i don't remember it was the most hackneyed possible classic rock choice i think you're right i think it is paint it black i think it is the stone song so hackneyed couldn't be worse um and then the whole thing is like the whole thing is like utterly weightless as he's like floating through the air and everything's exploding around him and it's some of the most dog shit cgi i've ever seen and it just felt utterly meaningless yes. and with no stakes which again to come to compare it back to the movie that we're going to be talking about in a couple of minutes here the quicksilver scene from apocalypse is not nearly as fun or exciting as the first movies or the first movies, the second, the second slash sixth or seventh movies, however <laughs> you wanted to break these down. But like there were stakes because people were in danger that, that ostensibly I cared about if only because it was a bunch of kids. Correct. Whereas like there were no stakes to that scene in black Adam, none whatsoever. Nope. None. There's no stakes to the whole movie because, and it's, Okay, we'll move off this, but this is the last thing I'm going to say. There needs to be some type of internal logic. And so the end credits sequence of this movie, which has now been completely 
undone is Henry Cavill's Superman showing up in front of black Adam and basically being like, yo dog, don't worry. They got me and I can keep you in check. Cause the end is, you know, him saying something about there's nobody, there's no human, there's nobody on this planet who can stop me or whatever. And then Superman shows up and he's like, but I'm not from this planet sucker. But if we're admitting in the movie itself that this is the person who can stop Black Adam, or at least control him, contain him somehow, why in the hell do you send these other lackeys, the Justice Society, to come and, and try and stop him? You're, you're telling me that Superman is the only one who can stop him, and then you're sending Dr. Fate and Hawkman and Adam smasher whatever and cyclone and like just a bunch of d-listers like let's be honest just what are you doing anyway it's bad also just one last thing and it will tie into what we're talking about in this uh um other film how do you take black adam powers tied to egypt dr fate powers tied to egypt and Hawkman powers tied to Egypt and not even mention <laughs> the fact that, yo, it's kind of weird that all three of us have our superpowers tied to ancient Egypt. You're not even going to bring it up, dogs? I, you're like, telling me something excuse? I did not know. I had no idea. Well, about th- apparently Dr. they and- didn't bother putting it in the movie. Dr. Fate has ancient Egypt powers, baby. Oh, no. See, in the movie, he just has a helmet that he can put on and that only he can use. And well, Hawk- who do you think gave him that helmet? The ancient Egyptians. I think they said it was an alien helmet in the movie, if I remember that little bit. Lame. Anyway, so ancient Egypt. So talking about bad movies in ancient Egypt... Let's talk about X-Men Apocalypse. Woohoo! Okay, this is, you know what? I'm giving you a really, really short summary here because this movie's bad. Just getting that right out there from oh, the Oh, God, it's so bad, folks. Oh, my word. So the movie starts in ancient Egypt, and we've got Ensabanur, the apocalypse himself. And basically, he's, you know transferring his consciousness into another body to gain this other person's healing factor. So then, you know, some people like entomb him and knock down the pyramids and and all this stuff. To be fair, the whole, the whole sequence where they brought the pyramid down on top of him was kind of cool. That was kind of a cool idea that there was this secret uh, plot against him. And it consisted of, what if we turn these two big blocks into trucks and we drive the truck <laughs> through the pyramid? Yes, that is one thing I had in my notes. I was like, the pyramid collapse is sort of cool. So that part was... What the- if we turn blocks into trucks? It was fun. It was. It was probably the last fun I had with the movie, actually. Uh, fast Indeed. forward to the 80s, and we've got Scott Summers, Alex Summers, who's been in previous movies, getting brought to... Uh, Professor X in hoping that they can stop him blasting laser beams out of his eyes. Uh, in the 
1980s present. We've got some uh, worshipers who are now awakening in Sabanur, and then some stuff happens. He pulls a little bit of like an Ultron from Age of Ultron, except instead of tapping into the internet, he touches a TV because according to Wikipedia, he has cyberpathy. I don't know what cyberpathy is, but I'm going to guess that the cyberpathy was what allowed him to touch the TV and instantly absorb all of the information about the world from the radio signals floating around. How does a person who got entombed 5,500 years ago have cyber powers? I don't know, but it says that his superhuman abilities include telekinesis, cyberpathy, teleportation, and the ability to augment other mutants' abilities. So I'm, I, I have no idea. I'm just reading what's written down because this was dumb. I, I see that. Anyway, he touches the TV and he decides, well, the world's gone astray. It needs to burn like so many bad people decide because we can't come up with original ideas anymore. We've got, you know, um, Raven slash Mystique. She's uh, kind of a, a, you know, she doesn't want to be a hero or a symbol, but because of what happened in the previous movie, she apparently is. And she somehow manages, she's kind of getting some other mutants. She gets Kurt Wagner and they, you know, a whole bunch of stuff happens. And then you find out that there's, you know, into the place where she was trying to free Kurt. Then here comes Apocalypse and he gets a couple other, you know, mutants and starts enhancing them and turning them into people. And now we get to actually the only what I thought was the good part of the movie. And it's a very short scene, but I think that this, I mean, a short part of the movie, and this is the only part that I thought was effective. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it because it's kind of sad and heartbreaking, but we see that Magneto, Eric Lenscher is in Poland. He is trying to lay low. He is trying to not be Magneto and he's gotten married and he has a daughter and, uh, as, as Apocalypse is making things shake across the whole world, he works in what looks like kind of a, a metallurgical type factory. And Eric uses his power to save a coworker from getting smashed by a great big metal container with molten metal in it. And so now they know who he is. The militia capture him and they accidentally shoot an arrow through his daughter. And she's starting cause she's like calling wild animals and stuff. Anyway, long She's and short nature of it, powers. his wife and daughter both get killed in the ensuing confusion, and Eric then pulls out, uh, I think it was a locket with a picture of uh, his wife and his daughter in it, and he uses the locket to slice right through everybody's necks and or heads, killing them all. And Pretty heavy then, metal. Then let's just get to the end, which is the bad guy collects a couple other mutants and tries to make them... Sh see how powerful they are because he's going to use them. And then he tries to use professor X who's in Cerebro because he wants to broadcast because this is one power he doesn't have yet is, you know, telepathy. So he wants to capture Xavier and he captures them. And, you know, there's a, a whole big thing where Alex ex causes an explosion that destroys the whole mansion. And here we get to the scene where Peter Maximoff slash Quicksilver manages to get everybody except Alex out of the explosion. Again, cool scene feels a little, you know, been there, done that. But like you said, because he's saving these kids, at least there's some weight to the scene. There's some, 
you feel the urgency and, and the import of what he's doing. And then basically we'll just jump to the end in Egypt stuff's happening. Uh, Magneto uses his power to alter the earth's magnetic field, basically destroying the everything on the, I mean, we see bridges being wiped out. The Sydney opera house is being pulled apart. Skyscrapers everywhere. Metal, you know, ships are coming up from the bottom of the ocean floor and bad things are happening. The team all goes there and, you know, they rescue Xavier and then Xavier and Apocalypse have a little psychic fight. And then, you know, they're all fighting against, against what's his nuts, fricking Apocalypse. And Magneto now decides, okay, maybe I've destroyed the world. I don't need to really be a bad guy. So I'll stop this guy because it's just stupid. And then Storm decides that she'll turn on Apocalypse. So she starts blasting with lightning. And then Jean Grey just gets told to not hold back by Xavier. And so we see a flaming uh, sort of what looks like one could call perhaps a phoenix shape around her. And she just basically unmakes um, a good old Apocalypse. And then there we go. We're done. And we've got the team all together now. And Magneto and Jean Grey are using his magnet powers and her telekinesis to completely rebuild the mansion. And it's all happy-go-lucky. And now it's just like the entire world wasn't totally decimated by this alteration of the magnetic field. And everything's good and happy. And we can smile now. And the movie's over. And it was almost two and a half hours. And that was way, way too long. And what'd you think, Eden? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it's the worst one, but it might be the worst one so far. You know, I would say I think it is so far. I think it's the worst it, one. It or might, at least I which, enjoyed it even less than X-Men Origins Wolverine, because at least Wolverine had me laughing at times at how bad it was. Yes, and the decisions this they felt were making. like the most joyless slog that I have ever sat through. Yeah. Also, yeah. I have to say, before we talk about anything else, you cannot, you can not have your teen cast walking out of Return of the Jedi and have Jean Grey say the third is always the worst, trying to be like, ha ha, remember how Brett Ratner made a bad third movie to my first two good ones? I'm Brian Singer. Oops, I just made a worse third movie. Yes. Oh, I would watch Last Stand a thousand times over this. Dog, your movie is worse. Your movie is worse than Last Stand, but it has a joke about how third movies are always the worst. And it's the third in the first class movies and was by far the worst X-Men movie made so far. Yes. My guy. You can't do it. You can't. You can't make that joke and not be making an okay movie. So good things about the movie. Anything? Again, I will say I thought that the little scene with Eric in Poland was affecting. And it was the only time in the movie where I gave a shit about any of the characters. Um, let's see. So I'm that. looking through to see if there is any good things. I have lots of things like I, I think I've written the word sucks more than any other time we've taken notes for any of these movies. Um, 
I liked that I could recognize that that was Rose Byrne in a burka immediately because of her impeccable eyebrows. Great eyebrows, Rose Byrne. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> growing those. Um, I, yeah, um, I want to say that I liked Jubilee, but she was in the movie for approximately 30 seconds. So you can't do my girl Jubilee like that and not have me be mad at you because she should have been in the movie a lot more. She didn't get to do anything, did she? No. She went to see Return of the Jedi with them and then said, oh, Empire Strikes Back is a better movie, which like, you're right. But Scott is also more right in that without star wars you don't get either of them so yes star wars is the best star wars movie so sorry one thing that scott summers is right about in this whole stupid movie is that star wars is the best star wars movie um and the rest of jubilee is just being in the background of scenes and it's like you cast it you cast it so well Lana Condor is such a good pull. She has the look. This is an actress who is going to go on to be a leading lady in a lot of films and know how to really carry a movie. And you didn't do anything with her. Yeah. So those are my positives. <laughs> okay. How about Let's you? Talk, I mean, I'm looking through my notes again and we talked about how the pyramid collapse. It looked looked okay and and was a cool idea talked about the scene in poland and gosh i really think that that's it apparently there's a deleted scene on the home video release where scott shows gene a record from dazzler that would have been my third favorite thing in this movie if there was any shout out to my girl dazzler one of my all-time favorite x-men i have all 43 issues of the dazzler run from the early 80s in my basement right now love dazzler stupidest concept ever what if a mutant's power was to turn sound into glowy lights and so she becomes a freaking disco star love it give me more of that where's where's my dazzler spinoff movie but no, I mean, that would have been it pretty that, good it's, to no, me. it's not good dude i'd kill for a dazzler movie a good like 80s or like late 70s early 80s disco flick like that sounds great all right well let's talk about some of the big things that didn't work then and i'm gonna start with probably the one that makes me the most sad I don't know if it's that Oscar Isaac and this role were just not meant for each other. I don't know if it's that the directing was bad, the writing was bad, a combination of all of this, but I thought he was awful as apocalypse. Oh yeah. Just terrible. Oh yeah. Um, his voice didn't work for the character and they acknowledged this uh. by every time it started to get intense, they had to really modulate his voice and add layers and make it deeper and all this stuff because when he's just talking, it's not menacing at all. He looks awful. Everything so about how he looks. I, I was my brother-in-law was here for the last couple of days because of some unfortunate reasons, but not for him, but uh, in the family. And we were briefly talking about this morning, and I, I just said to him, I said, "I've seen better costumes and makeup." in pictures from Comic-Con and stuff than throughout this entire movie. The costumes look so bad and his is the worst. Like you see his, his lower face where it's mostly makeup and then it goes up to the prosthetics on his forehead and it literally like it goes from matte to shiny 
Like he's got a big uh-huh. shiny lumpy forehead. Like again, I'm sitting here going the foreheads in the Klingons back in whatever decades ago. Don't look this bad. How no. did you screw this up no. so bad? It's bad. Why does his, why is his outfit all like spacey alien looking? Like it looks like he's ready to go to space. And this is the same yeah. outfit he was wearing, you know, 5,000 years ago. Why does he have tubes in his head? Yeah. Why? Like, why does he have tubes in his head? There's no reason for him to have tubes in his head. He was 5,500 years ago. He's just a mutant um, yeah, who no, he's, takes over other mutants. Oscar Isaac is an extremely good actor. He's yes. one of my favorite actors working right now. Agreed. He's part of this like cohort of amazing Latino actors that we've got um, that are big in Hollywood right now between him and Diego Luna and Pedro Pascal. And like, they're all great. They're all a bunch of DILFs. Like, don't get it twisted. They're all hot. They're all really good actors. But occasionally you see something they're in and you're like, yo, this was not it. Mm-hmm. And this was not it for Oscar Isaac. I'm glad that the MCU gave him a chance to shine in Moon Knight because boy, does he not shine here? No, not at all. And none of his, you know, the, the whole idea is he's got his four horsemen. So he gets angel and basically turns him into archangel by making his wings metal and giving him again, this super emo looking like curly ramen boy haircut thing that just, Oh my gosh, (laughs) it looks so bad. And then he, and then he, you know, he runs into storm and he enhances her powers and recruits her and he runs into Psylocke and he enhances her powers and recruits her. And then, you know, he gets Magneto storm kind of inconsequential and used so poorly in this movie that as someone who, again, just sort of tangentially knows how important a character storm is in the X-Men in the future, they just didn't set her up at all. Like they set her up as just a big fat nothing burger in here. Like not interesting. None of the interactions with that actor on the screen. Did I really see her? I don't know. She was used terribly. And then you've got, and I don't even, I think it was like geek culture um, that kind of made, what's her name? Olivia Munn popular. I think that was where, cause she was on like attack uh-huh. of the show, some gaming, whatever. And you yeah, know, she, she was, was on like, like spike obligatory, TV shit. Yeah. Like the obligatory, like hot chick on the show that we're using to try and appeal to, you know, pander to our male audience and get them to watch more stupid, senseless things. If I'm mischaracterizing that for her, I am very sorry. And I am not saying that that was her. I'm saying that's how she's been used in my brief purview and, and, and scant knowledge I have of her. So, oh boy, it's cool. We're getting this, you know, we're getting her in here as Psylocke and we're getting Psylocke and she was terrible as this, just so flat and boring and there's nothing from her. Uh We don't know anything about her. We don't even really know what her powers are other than out of one hand, she's got some purple laser sword type thing and out of the other, she's, she can like pull out a whip and then she wears just, which again, I know it's comic accurate, but it's like you. It's not comic accurate. Well, it's worse than the comics. Yeah. It, it was supposed to be comic it's, accurate. It's less. It's less horny than the comics, but it it looks worse than any outfit that Quanon slash Psylocke has worn in the comics. And like again, this is she is a character. Psylocke is a character who I know a lot about. I really like a lot. You know, I think has had a really interesting, if a little gross, because 
white dudes making comics history. Um, and it's all wasted here. It's all wasted. Yeah. Like Psylocke is a super, she's like the fourth most powerful psychic on the planet after professor X, Jean gray and Emma Frost. But you would never know that because what those blades are, are her focusing her psychic powers. It's like Jean gray. When she uses her psychic powers out of her body, turns into a big, a big Phoenix Psylocke turns it into blades and then stabs people with them. But because they're made of psychic power, it doesn't actually hurt them. It's supposed to, it, it causes mental trauma. What is, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> I mean, you know, we have a, so in my D and D group, we have a rogue who does psychic damage with psychic blades. Uh, and, and we always make sure that every time he does a fair amount of psychic damage, somebody on the team will be like, you just reminded him of when he walked out of the bathroom with his fly down. You know, we, we like I'm to say the psychic trauma that is being caused by these blades, but you know, I mean, she's so uninteresting. I know she speaks in the movie. I could not remember any scenes in which she actually speaks. And so the characters are just, they're just bad. They're flat. And then again, you know, the same thing with angel, we see angel in this like fight club thing and then his wings kind of get burned and then he get turned into metal. And I don't really remember him talking either. Like they're just nope. there and, and uh, they, they're not used. They're there the to fill interesting. the structural. Yeah. They, they are there to fill the structural requirement that is apocalypse needs for horsemen. Yeah. But it, they are uh, not there out of anything other than a slavish desire to s- stick to whoever wrote this is favorite parts of the comics. Cause they don't stick to the comics. They stick to whoever wrote this movie. Let's see. Uh, Brian singer, Simon Kinberg, my Michael Daughtry and Dan Harris. Like it's clearly whatever those four dudes like about it. And what they like is the idea of the four horsemen. So they made sure to get all four horsemen on there, even though none of this makes sense for these people other than angel being a, one of the four horsemen. And like, it's just a mess. Like also, I have to say, uh, cast a dark-skinned person as uh, Aurora Monroe challenge 2K never, Fox. Like, Storm is famously, like, a black character, a dark-skinned black woman. And both times they have cast her in these live-action movies, they have cast really light skin. And you're like, what's going on here, guys? It just... Uh, yeah it none of it i mean again there is so little of this movie that works that that even there there's a reason we're doing this two weeks later than we were supposed to because when i watched the first half of it a few weeks ago in that particularly difficult week i was having i had to give up i couldn't do it like this movie is so bad that i'm like I'm not in a mental place right now where I can freaking push through this bad movie. Yeah. Tell me if apocalypse wants to basically wipe the world clean and then start all over with the mutants being the ones who stay around. Why does he launch all the nuclear missiles in this guy and then explode them? Why, Why is there global nuclear disarmament? What does that have to do with anything in this movie? And here's the thing. Okay, there's my third thing. The idea of 
unilateral global nuclear disarmament being caused by a single mutant who's like, no, we're not going to have these kind of weapons anymore. Conceptually, that is so incredibly my shit. But the way that it was deployed in this film was terrible. Conceptually, the idea of every single person in charge of a nuke shooting those suckers off into space and like saying, okay, no more nukes now. The nuclear deterrent is off the table. You could create such an interesting alternate history story, but instead he does that and then he's like, now I'll make the world's worst pyramid in the ruins of Cairo. Yes. What does it have to do with anything? Nothing. Again, it was clearly one of those things that when they were in the story room, they were like, you know, it'd be freaking cool. What if we had him shoot all the nukes into space? Yeah, dog. And then they just put it in there, even though it means nothing. Yeah. Do you know how else? Do you know how you could have used it to be cooler? How's that? And I'm not saying this would have helped the film, really, but this would have been a slightly more interesting way of dealing with nuclear weapons in this film. Oh, he terraforms Cairo to make his ugly pyramid, all of the nuclear powers decide to rain hellfire upon Cairo and then Magneto has his big moment of stopping literally all the nukes and he sends them into space. That would have been way more interesting. Because they were used as weapons, used as weapons by the humans and then Magneto is like, no, these weapons don't work against us. We are homo superior, baby. Yeah. Like that would have been so much cooler. It wouldn't have fixed this film, but it would have given me something more interesting to talk about in this film instead of what it really did, which is bad. Well, and it would have made having the nuclear weapons in the story at all, at least have some sort of reason behind it. Like it's this whole big thing that feels like it's building towards something. And again, it just turns into nothing. I, uh, yeah, you know, And then we get back to, and and I kind of hinted at this earlier, I don't think the people writing these movies know what to do with their characters. And I think we've seen that time and time Oh, they definitely don't. And we're going to harp back on one of our main characters from all of these movies, and that is Magneto. The the back and forth and, and everything with Magneto is just so incomprehensible. I understand such narrative whiplash. Yeah. And, and I understand what they're trying to do. And, you know, again, we have that scene in, um, both the original X-Men and again, in first class with, with the Auschwitz scene and, and that's powerful and it gives you insight into Magneto and you understand where he's coming from. So you can kind of sympathize. They get you to that point where you can, you can at least understand his motivations, Apocalypse, whatever. I know his motivations, but they don't feel real to me. Magneto's motivations, at least to some degree, feel real. Because this guy's been done dirty a whole lot. And, But then we have him, like you said, just whiplash. Here he is. He is pulling all of the magnetic material out of the earth, alterating the earth's very magnetic field. We see cities. Like everything we see is just being totally devastated. And then he has a moment where I think I can, again, I can't even remember clearly, but Raven's like, but we're your family too. You don't, you, you do still have a family and it's us. Uh And so all of a sudden he's Uh like, Oh, 
okay, cool. And then he goes to try and stop apocalypse and doesn't really do it because it's Jean Grey who does it. But then all is better. Yes, you just destroyed every city in the world, but you're helping rebuild the X mansion, so it's okay. Yeah. I just, also, I I know that you pointed out as like they were tender scenes, and they were tender scenes, but as soon as I saw Magneto pull up to a house, I was like, oh, great. He's got a wife and a kid, and they're going to fridge him, and guess oh, what they 100%. did? Oh, 100%. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, was like, he can't, it can't be enough for Magneto to have suffered in the past. We have to give him a reason to suffer now because correct. we cannot do effective pathos um, if our lives depend on it. No, you are right. Again, and, and I don't think that that part was what I would say good, but it was one of the few parts where I actually felt anything. And most of it was It was tender. That, that here we're going to, you know, like you said, we're going to give him a family and then we're going to fridge him. Um, and that upsets me, but yeah, it just, uh, nothing, nothing right. about this movie um, really worked for me except a few moments that still not great. It's true. Um, I'm going to go through a, my litany of complaints very quickly here. Stop me if you want to weigh in on any of these. Sounds good. Um, here is just some of the, the, these are some of the things that I feel like we need, I need to get out of my system before we finish talking about Get this it thing. out. This is the moment. Uh, this is the time. Shouldn't, shouldn't Havoc be like 40 at this point? Uh-huh. So why is he not 40? Like, why does he have a teen? How does he have a 15-year-old brother if he's like 45? Because none of these characters have aged from when they were first introduced in the 60s. Because time means nothing to the series. Um, let's see. Other complaints. The pacing sucks. And the whole young cast sucks. IMO. Uh, yeah, I did happen to write down that, again, trying to use Jennifer Lawrence slash Raven slash Mystique as she's the one who's really bringing the team together. Doesn't work. She can't do it. And she, she was the it. best one. And she's still not good. Yep. Um. I wrote in very big letters, the Phoenix is an alien dog because I'm mad that they're still going with the Phoenix being something inborn to Jean Grey. It's a mother effing alien guys. Yeah, they do not. Um, so that's one of my complaints. Um, Xavier is so evil. God, yep. he's a creep. Yep. Um, Psylocke's outfit sucks. Yep. Uh, Quicksilver Especially is a Rush fan. And I did uh, that. Maybe, there we go. There's the other thing I liked about it. You know, the thing that most offended me about Psylocke's outfit. And again, like we talked about, we understand they, were, I, I understand they were trying to make this comics accurate to some degree, but it's so incongruous with everybody else's outfits in the movie that it's just blatant that, Hey, we got this, we got this lady that we know the geeky guys like, so we're going to try and sex her up for the geeky guys. It just, I just find it offensive. Uh huh. And maybe I'm making too much of it, but I find it offensive. It just is like, I just, yeah, it's bad. Yep. Um, so plus Quicksilver rush fan referenced at least three times. Cause he has two rush posters on his wall and his backpack or someone writes on his cast. Like, yep. I love Rush or something like that. So why, if you were going to establish so clearly that he has 
a, a group that he is a big fan of. Why'd you use Croce again? Two yeah. movies in a row. That's illegal. That's illegal. Give him a new soundtrack to do his fast run to in this movie. You can't use the same one. Especially also, when there's so many elite Rush songs that would have been amazing in that scene. I'm saying he does that run. I mean, go predictable. He does that to Tom Sawyer. A thousand times better. Or YYZ. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had the moving pictures poster on his wall. Get a Rush song in there. Yep. Um. Yes. Uh, J-Law looked unhealthy skinny when she was her uh, mystique form. Uh, Stryker was in this movie. This is too much. The Wolverine cameo is the worst. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and I'm annoyed to me, that they felt like, and I, I had written this down, but then I forgot to mention it because I just was tired. It feels to me like the scene where Jean Grey gives him back a few of his memories is them kind of trying to retcon this forced relationship the two of them are going to have in the future. Maybe that wasn't the intention. But they're not. But that's the way it felt. It felt like, oh, no, look, see, we're setting it up. So that's why when he sees her however many years in the future, in, you know, 20 plus years, all of a sudden he instantly is like, I'm in love with you, even though I don't know you. Nah, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. My theory of the X-Men movies is we now have three concurrent X-Men storylines that are going on in these X-Men movies. And never the twain shall meet again. Days of Future Past is where two of them met, but now we will never have them all again. Because we've got the first class uh, timeline, which is different now than the original X-Men timeline. It is fundamentally so because X-Men Origins Wolverine is in that original three trilogy storyline. And that is how things shook out with Weapon X. So you can't have what happened here now be a future portent of getting to X-Men, you know, the 2000 movie X-Men. So these are two separate timelines. But then you've also got weird future timeline that you see in the very end of Days of Future Past, which is, I think, ostensibly maybe the future timeline that the Deadpool movies take place in. Because the Deadpool movies don't aren't connected to this series because they're set in the present day and these are all set in the past. So I think that's the situation here. So that makes it all the more, that makes it all the more (laughs) nonsensical that we bother putting Wolverine in here and all the whole Wolverine sequence felt like they got to the end of this movie. They got a rough cut of this movie. And then the execs were like, dog, this movie just blows donkey chunks. We need to call up our friend Hugh and pay him a few mil to come in and run around shirtless for an hour. And they were like, okay, fine. Pay our good friend Hugh to come in and run around shirtless for an hour. And the movie still blows donkey chunks and is half an hour too long. But that's what's happening there. Uh, I also wrote that this just felt like a mad, a bad Michael Bay film, which like, most Michael Bay films are bad, but this felt like even bad in his tier. Yeah. Um, I wrote that time means nothing to these films because the sense of the scale of time and the passage of time is completely nonsensical. Like I, I would defy you. And this was a problem with days of future past too. Cause it was like, how are they flying across the world so quickly? 
but I would defy you to take the uh, happenings of this film and put them into a coherent, here is how the days worked. Here's how many days this takes place over. Here's what happened more or less on each day because there's no sense to be had of it. Yeah. How do they get from upstate New York to Western Canada so quick and then get from Western Canada to Cairo so quick? Well, and that's a long flight, you know, just in terms of time. Another one was, well, how does Stryker show up to the X mansion almost immediately? Right. They have that, like they throw off that line about like, oh, well, we know that the message issued from here. That was like 10 minutes ago, dog. Yeah. And then were you just boom, like hanging out? Were you just like immediately there? Yeah. Were you just like hanging? Do you have a secret, secret double base 10 minutes from the Winchester mansion? And you're like, the plane's literally always spinning. We keep this helicopter literally always going. We have a special way to keep it fueled, even though the blades are always like, what? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and my last note is making mystique. The leader is a choice question mark. Because this movie clearly and definitively ends, and again, this points back to me saying these are two separate, incongruent, never-shall-be-touched timelines between the original trilogy and this trilogy. Well, I guess quadrilogy because you got Dark Phoenix in there, which we're going to get to in a couple months, and I can't wait to see how bad that is. Because um, <laughs> if the, I've heard people say it's worse than this one. It is. I've heard multiple people say Dark Phoenix is worse than this one. So I cannot wait to suffer through that with you, my friend. Um, Yeah, yeah, this was just atrocious. And making Mystique the main good guy. J-Law's agents deserve a raise. I know they're probably making bank anyway, but her agents deserve a raise. Because they did the work for her on these X-Men films that Rebecca Romaine's agents should have been doing. Yeah. And that is my assessment of this film is J law has very good agents while being a not very good actor. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You know, I don't know that I have anything to add. I think I've brought up all the things that I felt I needed to other than it was, and, and you'll have to maybe help me remember because I only saw Logan once and it was, when it came out. So it's been what, five years now or more since uh-huh. I saw Logan. Uh huh. Is the post credit scene for this movie setting up Logan? I watched the post credit scene. I'm trying to remember what it was now. Basically dudes in suits come into the base up in Canada and oh, get a, bo- and a steal vial Lo- of and steal Logan's blood, blood and stick it in a case. Yeah. And then as they close the case, it slowly zooms in on the name Essex Corp. I think that that's what it's doing there. Um, I don't really remember because I also haven't seen that since it came out. But I mean, like everyone knows part of the conceit, and this is not spoilers if you haven't seen Logan yet. Part of the conceit of that film is that it's got X-23 in it. And X-23 is probably made by some company instead of being made by, uh, instead of being made by the government. I don't know. I the don't only know. reason I think I bring that's it what up. it's doing. Oh, very obliquely there. And, and the reason that I bring it up, is because this movie came out in 2016. So we've had somewhere around eight years now of the MCU doing post-credit scenes, setting up future Uh things. It felt like this was the most, look, this is the Walmart slash wish version 
of the MCU post credit scene. It's oh, 100%. a dumb post credit scene, and it doesn't necessarily. I mean, look, it's it's poorly set up enough that we're both sitting here going, maybe it plays into Logan. We don't even really know. And I don't think they knew when they did it really either because it's dumb and it's bad. Like the rest of this movie, it feels not unlike what you mentioned in the previous X episode we talked about where you were like this closing sequence that has apocalypse in it does not reflect the tone or feel of apocalypse whatsoever. And uh, that definitely seems to be the case here too. Yeah. Where like they were like, we know the next movie is going to be a, a Wolverine movie and it's going to have X-23 in it. So I guess let's do whatever. Yeah, not not good. Not. I do have to say Essex Corp is not uh, uh, previews of coming attractions. Uh, the corporation that makes X-23 is named Alkali Transigen, not Essex. Oh. So so this is completely as you said completely pointless utterly pointless even though it was like here's a big zoom in on Essex. yeah i just and that was what you know again my youngest watches most of these with me uh and that was the thing we kind of looked at each other and we're like and that's what i said i was like you know again don't forget they've seen how marvel has done it and done it to pretty good effect for many years now and this just feels like a well we have to do it but we don't actually know what they're doing. And again, I'm just going to say this is the Walmart version of the post credit scene. Yeah. It feels really perfunctory. Yeah. So I don't know. Disappointing all around. I wasn't expecting it to be good, but I honestly didn't remember disliking it this much. And so this was very oh, much man, kind of bad. a oh boy. Look at this. Here we go. Uh, so, you know, we got a couple others to, uh, to really, enjoy enjoy uh that's but what it, we're gonna do we're gonna enjoy the next few we'll see how i feel about logan on a rewatch but when i stepped out of that movie i thought to myself that's one of the best superhero movies i've ever seen yep i felt the same will i feel that way when i'm done with it i don't know we'll see um but the the roller coaster continues, dear listeners, because we are in the lowest doldrums of the lowest lows. And I was pretty high on Days of Future Past. I know you were not as high on it, but still, it was it was a peak in our roller coaster of X. This is like a very deep valley with the potential to go back to its highest peaks. I guess we'll see. We shall see. I am very curious to see what I think about the next one as well. It, it'll be a great preview of what James Mangold's uh, Indiana Jones movie is going to be like. Good point. Because the guy who made Logan is the guy who has done Indiana Jones 5, which seems to be, uh, for all intents and purposes, not unlike Logan in terms of what it's doing. Well, then fingers crossed it turns out to be good. And hopefully Logan holds up on a rewatch. Yeah, we'll have to see in a, we a few weeks because we'll weeks. for sure have something in between there. Oh, yes, definitely. But that, dear listeners, is time for us to bring this to an end because we actually talked about it longer than I thought we were going to be able to because it's just bad and I don't recommend anyone watch this movie. And it looks bad and it's, it, it's yeah, it's bad. So in the spirit of more bad movies to come, 
We'll wrap up and ask anyone, if you are enjoying listening to this, please make sure that you have subscribed. Uh, Go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Five stars would be wonderful. Remember, there's a promise of a kiss out there for any five star uh, five star ratings. That's true. And, uh, true. you know, a, a written review also helps. These are things that will make it a little more visible. And, you know, share it because if you like what we're doing, and I'm sure somebody else that you know will like it too. And until we're back in another couple of weeks, everyone stay safe, have fun, and don't watch bad movies unless you really, really know what you're getting into. Watch better films. There's so many out there. <laughs> and these are not one of them, so.